I can't say enough about uh, the series uh, that our small groups, many of our small groups, maybe not all of them, most of them are going to be going through and, and being the healing church or churches that heal. Uh, this is really important for, for me, I think, as a pastor, as I try to lead our church well in realizing that we need to, to be healed. We all need healing. We all need it in different forms or fashions. There's no singular way to do this. And I, I, I say it like this, you can be inspired in rows, but you will be life-changed in circles. And so I, I, I encourage you, we have groups that are meeting still, literally starting today uh, to be a part of one of our churches, the healing groups. We have a few, some of them are already completely full. We have a few that are still gathering out in, in the gallery. You have their posters up. Go buy, snap a photo. One of the men's only group starts this afternoon at two o'clock. That's how soon it is. And so if that's like for you and you're like in this season of life, guys, I encourage you. Enter into this. Enter into this time of healing. Let God do some work. You'll only get out of this what you put into this. And I know that's, a, that's what mom and daddy would say to you growing up, but it's really true when it comes to healing processes. And so I, I, I pray you're, you're there. Uh, also, we are now in the last bit of, uh, of the book of Genesis. We are turning into the last 10 chapters of Genesis. So be finding in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 41. We'll be there in a moment. And uh, let me just say this, there's lots of resources. I can't go into them every week, but they're all online and we're just stacking them in there. On one webpage, you can go to them and find groups. You can find this 40 days of of forgiveness uh, Bible study that we're going through. There's lots of resources out there and we want you to to make yourself uh, available to them. Uh, This is the first time at at Grace Point that I've taken an an entire year to go through a book, uh, uh, and we started in January going through Genesis, and now we're 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 here at this this juncture, and and I I don't know how, how's it going for you, and maybe you're like uh, tired of Genesis or something like that, and I'm not necessarily asking for feedback, but if you want to give me feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, I want to hear it. Um, whether or not this entire long year long journey has, how it's resonated with you, uh, there was one other time in my life that I took an entire year to preach through a book, and I said I'd never do it again. Is the book of Revelation in one of my former churches, and I will never do that again. Uh, so uh, I say that, and then God's going to put it on my heart in, in, the, in the future to do that, I'm sure. But the book of Genesis is, is, is one of those that you can either embalm people or excite people. And I, I want to excite you with the truth and not embalm you with the truth, because there's a lot of history there. And so unpacking the history is important as we go through. But here's what I also want you to see. As you go through the book of Genesis, you will see Jesus if you look. He's there. Okay, he's literally there all the way through the book of Genesis. I've tried to point him out at different points in time. I know he doesn't come in, in the flesh until 2,000 years or so uh, in, 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 that, in that time period later. Again, however you, you, you start dating the earth, depends on that. But, but the point is, is that Jesus is in the very beginning. You find him in Genesis in the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. He's there. Uh, it's, the, it's the plural Godhead is there. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is there in Genesis chapter 1. The first messianic prophecy of him coming to defeat Satan is in chapter 3, verse 15. I've tried to point these out as we go through. Even Noah's Ark, it's a type of a, a, a story, a picture of God's salvation as he put Noah's family, chose Noah's family, put them on an ark, and it says in the Scripture that he closed the door. That ark was a statement of salvation for the people of the world. And they go to the Tower of Babel and you find this complete confusion and utter nonsense and, uh, and languages are created to where people cannot communicate. And then you go to Acts chapter 2 and you see the Holy Spirit comes and he brings clarity to it. So again, the whole Bible, we're not looking at 
individual stories, one-off stories. We're looking at one story that goes all the way through, and you got to see it as this one continuous story. Then you see that Abraham is, is chosen as be the, the father of the nations that all the nations of the earth would be blessed, through, would be through Abraham. And then that, that blessing just continues to go on. We see Melchizedek is a type of Christ in chapter uh, 14. The blessing covenant is passed down not only to Abraham, but to Isaac and to Jacob. And we're going to see later on to Ephraim. Ephraim and we're going to see it literally passed down from generation to generation. And Joseph is also a type of Christ. So when you study the life of Joseph, you can see tremendous amount of parallels between the two. And again, I'm not going to break all this down because we've talked about this already in past messages, but I want you to see that that Jesus and Joseph, they run a very similar storyline uh, uh, that's going on. I'm not saying he Joseph is Jesus. I'm saying he is a type of Jesus. But you can see, again, throughout the book of Genesis, you can see Jesus. In fact, if you read the book of Genesis and you don't see Jesus, you need to go back and reread the book of Genesis. Because he is there, he's there, bold and, and, and clear throughout. But what you see with the life of Jesus, you also see in the life of Joseph. Life was not fair. We talked about this last week. Life is not fair. And life is not easy. Life is not fair. Life is not easy for either one of them. So we need to kind of get out of our psyche that we're going to make life fair here on this earth. It will not be fair. It was not fair for Jesus. It was not fair for Joseph. And it will not be fair for you. And it will not be easy in this world that we live in. So let's just kind of get that into our minds. Even even when you look at the life of David, David lives similar. I think David drew great inspiration from looking uh, at the crypt notes, if you will, at, at the life of Joseph. When you look at David's life, there's some parallels uh, to Joseph's life. Whenever Joseph, when David was an, uh, appointed to be king, it would be years later that he would be anointed as king. And whenever you think, he actually assumes the throne. And when you look at the scriptures and you see how that plays out, and you look at the life of Joseph, and then you have these words from David. David writes this in Psalm 105, verse 17. It says this, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, his feet, we read this last week, listen to the, the, the physical torture that he underwent. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Now hang on to that phrase, this necklace of iron. I, I, I can literally envision slave trades of the, of the 1800s with shackled feet and, and collared necks. This is what Joseph lived, the life that he lived. Until what he had, had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Now that's a phrase that I don't like to talk about. But sometimes we go through these hard and difficult seasons of life, being pressed, being crushed, so that God can do something in us, show something out of us. I really wish I could stand up here in some kind of Christian platitudes and say, oh, it's all going to be well. You just need to trust Jesus more. But really, those, those things leave me frustrated. When people say, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have any fear or you shouldn't have any anxiety. Listen, this is real life out here. Sometimes life is hard. And there's nights, if you've been through death, if you've been through a job loss, if you've had a divorce in your life, or you've had somebody betray you, things don't get wrapped up in a nice, neat bow just because you go to bed at night, just because you live out another day, just because you move locations, change zip codes. Life doesn't just get easier. And I think we see that when you look at, again, Joseph. 
when you look at David, there is a, a lot that goes on. Now, trusting God, we must. But thinking that God's going to just take away all of our, all of our problems, uh, we need to realize that maybe the best thing we can do is not just tell somebody to trust God, but to walk with them in their problems. Not just giving them a mini sermon. Hey, you ought not feel that way. But actually doing what Paul said. Weep with those who are weeping. That's actually the Christian response. It's like, I don't have all the answers. I can't fix everything. And if you look at that verse there, he says, until. Until. Until what? It speaks of time. There's, this goes on for a season of, of Joseph's life. And again, because we've known, we've been studying this. This goes on for up to a decade. That he's in shackles, that he's living this falsely accused, falsely tried kind of existence. The Lord tested him. Here's a life principle for you about the testings of God. That God often tests people before he promotes people. You will have to go through seasons of testing before you go through a season of promotion. It doesn't always work that way, but I, it works better that way, to be honest with you. Because in those testing times... Character is forged or revealed or lack of character is revealed. And so there's something that God does in that fiery furnace of our life. Go read James chapter 1. He tells us that. He says you'll be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing if you go through the trials and the test of life. Read James chapter 1 on your own. But here's where the next verses pick up in Psalm 105. And the king sent and released him. And the ruler of the people set him free. Now, this is literally the spark notes of the life of Joseph. So we go through him being tortured and in shackles, and now he's being released by the king. The ruler of the peoples are set, set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of his possessions. And then David thinks about his life whenever he was chosen to be king. But yet, what does he have to do? He has to run for his life. And he's squatting in caves before he ever sets on the throne. He's running for his life from, 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 from Saul's uh, jealousy and before he ever made it to the throne. I don't know how long it was, but it was not days. It was not hours. It was weeks. It was months. It was likely years. And so, again, we come back to the life of Joseph. There's a lot of parallels in the Scripture. When you look at the life of Joseph, you find him born into prosperity, finding himself in a pit, going to a palace, Potiphar's palace, and then moving into a prison. Again, he's there for maybe up to a decade, in shackles, in chains, fettered, the whole nine yards, and then he becomes the prince. Again, we like the story endings like that, right? Doesn't always happen that way. But it's the life that he becomes the prince of Egypt. He is, again, bullied by his brothers and falsely accused by his employer, he is forgotten by his friends. We saw that last week. But he becomes the prince. In fact, in chapter 41 is where we'll be today. And this is a longer chapter, and we're going to break it down really quickly here. But then Pharaoh took the signet ring from his hand. So we're jumping to the end of the story here. Signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him with the garments of fine linen and put gold chain around his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot. Basically, you're the second in command. You're right behind me. How is it that he gets here? Now, I just want to remind you. He is a 
worshiper. Joseph is a worshiper of the Most High God. Pharaoh is not. Pharaoh worships the god Ra. That was the Egyptian god name. They did not worship Yahweh. But here's what I want you to see. This is a most beautiful thing that God does. We see the sovereignty and the omnipotence of God. That God takes a pagan, unbelieving king to rescue Joseph. He takes a pagan, unbelieving king to recognize that God is in him. God's going to use the, 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 this king who does not worship him. He's going to show his sovereignty. Basically, God is large and in charge when he's showing his sovereignty. He's going to show his omnipotence that he can even take an evil king and sway the heart of a king. He is going to use this and he's going to promote Joseph. Again, from the prison to, the, to, 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 the, to being the prince of Egypt. Pharaoh and his identity was tied in, into worshiping, uh, again, a foreign god. So let's look at chapter 41. And I want us to see it in its context. You kind of can break the chapter into three sections if you're taking, uh, if you're a detailed note person. Chapter uh, 41, verses 1 to 13 is really Pharaoh's dream. He has this vision. He has this couple of dreams back to back. 14 to 36, there's this Joseph's interpretation of the dream. And then there is chapter, verse 37 to verse 57, where Joseph rises out of the ashes into becoming the prince of Egypt. And all of that is in chapter uh, uh, 41. And we won't be able to cover it all, so let's cover just the first 13 verses to get us perspective. In two whole years, verse 1, and after two whole years, what? From the last chapter. So a two-year hiatus from writing, two years of, uh, again, Joseph staying in prison, two years, if you read the last verse of verse 40, of being forgotten from his friends. Two whole years. Pharaoh dreamed, and he was standing in the Nile, and behold, there was there came up the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. There you go, in case you want to be attractive and plump. There you go. That's what good looking looks like. And they fed in the, re, in the reed grass, and behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up in the, uh, in the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. That would wake you up. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were, were growing in the stalk. And behold, after this, them sprouted seven ears, thin, blight, uh, uh, thin and blighted by the east wind, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, behold, it was a dream. And in the morning, notice this, he calls on the Egyptian raw worshiping spiritual leaders. And notice how that much they helped him. Verse 8. So in the morning, the, uh, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and he called all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. And Pharaoh told them the dreams, but they but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So the chief cupbearer, you remember the chief cupbearer was his friend that forgot him in chapter 40? The chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and he put me and the chief baker 
in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard that he dreamed of this, uh, uh, on the same night and, and he and I were having a dream uh, uh, with its own interpretation. And this young Hebrew, he doesn't even remember his name, this young Hebrew was there with us and the servant of the captain of the guard. And when he told him uh, that he interpreted his dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And he interpreted it for us. So here he is. He's, he's like, Pharaoh has this incredible, horrible, ugly dreams. And then now he's going to have to have them interpreted. And he can't get any, any help. So what does he do? He calls on this man named a Hebrew, a young Hebrew. And what is it about Pharaoh that he's going to see in this, this young Hebrew kid named Joseph? He's, he's about 30 years old. What's he going to see in him? And this is what I want the world to see in us. As we are out there living out our, our lives, what does the world see in us? One of the things that the world saw in him, that he was gifted. He was a gifted by God. His gifts were by God were the, the, the ability to interpret dreams. Now, we uh, read verse 14. When Pharaoh sent and called to Joseph, and he quickly uh, brought him out of the pit, and they, they shaved him, uh, himself and, and changed his clothes. Basically, they gave him a bath and cleaned him up. And Pharaoh sent to Joseph, and I have a dream, and, and he interpreted it, and he heard it. When he had heard the dream, he interpreted it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, and he says, It is not me. I'm not going to be the one who's going to be able to answer your dreams. But it's going to be God. We'll give Pharaoh a favorable answer. What Joseph does here is exactly what he did with the cupbearer and the baker. And I want you to see this. Is that even though he had this gift of interpreting dreams... That each time, whether it was with a cupbearer in verse, uh, chapter 40, verse 8, or it's in this chapter, chapter 41, verse 16, both times he points back to God. He says, it is God who's doing this in me. And what we need to do is we need to help the world see that it is God who works in us. And notice, the word that he used here is not raw God. He uses the word Elohim. He says, it's Elohim. It's my God. It's the Most High God. That's the God who gives me the ability to interpret these dreams. And that's no, that's no small thing because he was seeing light and he was seeing truth. And, and, I, and I just think about the, the people in this world, when they look at us, do they see us or do they see God's gifting in us? Do they see us or do they see God's gifting in us? I think back to the, the Olympics when Sydney uh, McLaughlin won the 400 meters hurdles at every interview that she did. She pointed not in some kind of fake humility, but she pointed to God. And this is one of the statements that she made. I just kept hearing God say, and this is the day that she won her gold medal, just focus on me. It was the best race, I, 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 it was the best race plan I could have assembled. I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect His perfect will. That is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything. But by grace, through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Records, uh, records come and go, but the glory of God is eternal. Thank you, Father. This is her cry out to say, listen, you see the giftedness in me? I may be a good runner, but really what you need to see is you need to see God at work in me. See, it's not the light that is in us. greets the light that is in you, some yoga expression of our day. It is the God that is in me. 
that is at work. It's Joseph saying, hey, listen, I can't interpret your dreams. It is God who will interpret your dreams through me. So again, I want you to see what the world needs to see in us is not just us. They need to see the gift of God in us. Number two is that we are led by the Spirit. When the world looks at us, when our unbelieving friends look at us, when our coworkers look at us that are not followers of God, when our classmates look at us, when our students, if we're teachers, and they look at us, what do they see? I hope that they will see that that person is being led by God. If you look in the, in the book of, uh, of Genesis, the only person ever to be declared that he was full of the Spirit is Joseph. I pointed this out several weeks ago. I pointed out to you again in verse 38. It says this, and this is, this is from the lips of, again, a pagan king far from God. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you, God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning as, uh, as you are wise. Excuse me, that's verse 39. And Pharaoh said to the servants, can we find a man like this, whom is the Spirit of God? And then he said, Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you. See, what God does inside of us should be inexplainable. It is the work of the Spirit of God. That the world needs to see that in us. There ought to be a difference in our attitudes, in our actions, the way we respond and react. In fact, if you go to the New Testament, you'll find throughout the New Testament, in just two books alone, from the book of Ephesians and the book of Galatians, I just did a quick, like five-minute survey through the different chapters of just two books of the Bible. And this is what it says. We're told to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, strengthen in the power of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and bear the, word, the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit's supposed to be part of our life. And yet we're living in a day when many people don't believe in the Spirit. And let me just tell you this. This is a study that was done that was published just this past week. And it was put out, it's put out by the Arizona uh, Christian University and the Cultural Research Center. It's called the American Worldview Inventory. And it's just talking about where, what's the spiritual pulse of America? Well, here's the spiritual pulse of America. Seven in ten Americans call themselves Christians. They self-identify as Christians. But only 6% of them have a Christian worldview. Now, what's the difference in that? It's because, let's take this camp over here, 70%, 7 in 10, say that I'm a Christian. Americans like to identify with Christianity. Even if they don't live for Jesus, they like to identify. If you're going to put me in a box, put me into the Christian box. It's this notional Christian. But when you come over to how you process life, how you live your life, how, how the church invades your life, uh, is a part of your life, how, how the scriptures influence your life, how prayer shapes your life, how, how you do life, how you see life, how you vote, how you live with your neighbors and enemies, uh, you know, the whole nine yards, only 6% of them had a Christian worldview. And break that down even more. Of those who self-identified as Christians, 62% of them counted the Holy Spirit as not real. People saying I'm a Christian, 62% of them said the Holy Spirit is not real. And what's even sad, more sad about that is that last one. 
30%, oh, so basically 33% believe in the Holy Spirit. 39% believe in karma, a Hindu faith. Self-identifying Christians believe more in karma than they do in the Holy Spirit. So, my friends, we're living in a world that does not know what it means to walk, to identify in the Spirit. And that's a, that's a very scary reality when some of these could easily be a part of our church, a part of our family, making up who we are. Listen, I have never regretted in my life any decision that I have sensed God's Spirit leading me. Anytime I'll slow down and listen deeper, anytime I open up God's Word and look for truth, anytime I listen to the godly wisdom of Christian people in my life, and I'm just listening for congruency, I'm listening for consistency, and I'm leaning into that, and I'm waiting on God, I've never regretted. But every time I rush through and talk it into God's voice, or say, I just don't know God's voice, I'm just going to do whatever feels good, I'm going to follow my gut. I have landed myself in deep regret. My friends, we got to figure out what the Spirit is. Because whenever a pagan king, Pharaoh, looks at a man named Joseph and he says this, who in this world has the same Spirit as this man? There's no doubt that he is full of the Spirit. I want to be led by the Spirit. Trustworthy in character. I want character to be uncompromised. I hope whenever the the pagan pharaohs of this world look at me, that they're going to see Mike is gifted by God. Mike is filled by his spirit. But Mike has a character that can't be bought. He's not just going to step into any opportunity. We talked about this a few weeks ago, how when character and our conduct and convictions cross over, that's really where our character is. And again, if you have low, low conduct uh, standards or you have low belief standards, your, your character is going to align at that, where those intersect. So where is it that your faith and life and, and convictions align? Look at verse 40 now. These are all the words. We're just looking at the words of Pharaoh looking at Joseph. What did he see? You shall be over my house. This is when he promotes him from prisoner to prince. You shall be over my house and all of my people and shall order themselves to, uh, a, 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 as you command. Only regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. This is where he becomes the World Health Organization, the IRS, the Security and Exchange Commission, for the prime minister for the entire country. That is the level of promotion that he gets. And he got it from a guy who didn't even believe in God. But he saw such a character in Joseph. Remember a few weeks ago I said, you cannot control your circumstances, but you can control your character. He would not be bought. His character would not be, would not be compromised. He stayed in there and he did what was right, even whenever he was accused of doing wrong. I pray that when the world looks at Mike McDaniel, when unbelievers look at Mike McDaniel, I hope that whenever I get around my lost, unchurched, unbelieving community, and I intentionally put myself in in, in relationships with people who don't know God, I hope they see Mike has a gifting. Not of him, 
Mike has a spirit, not of him. He didn't make that up on his own. Mike has a character that's not like any other character in this world. When the world looks at you, what do they see? Here's a challenge for you. I want you to think of about four or five people in your life. Think about your neighbor next door. Just pick a neighbor on either side of your house. How well do they know you and your walk with God? Can they see, can they see your giftedness? Can they see your trustworthiness? Uh, can, can, they, can they see your character? Can, can they see that you're led of the Spirit? If they were to write an epitaph for you, one sentence over your life, what would it be? What if your boss were to write one sentence to describe your life? What if your coworkers that are far from God, did they see enough of Jesus in you? Are you just a good person? Just a kind person? Are you a person that's out for your own? Again, when we think about this, what did Pharaoh see in Joseph? He saw that he was gifted of God. He saw that he was led by the Spirit. And he saw that he had a character that was trustworthy. And then, as a result of that, it was honorable in, in, in all. I'm going to promote him. I'm going to put him up. In chapter 40, uh, 41, verse 46, it says, Joseph was 30 years old. Last time we saw his age, he was 17. He's 30 years old. And when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. He was riding out in royalty. But I want you again to notice what Pharaoh does for this man. Verse 42. It says, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand. Here is a man that basically he gives him his seal of authority. That's how much he trusted him. That's how much he honored him. This is, I can't emphasize this enough, an unbeliever looking at a believer, seeing a difference in him, say, I'm going to give you the power and the authority to when you take hot wax and you seal this, it is as if it came from me. I'm giving you my signet ring. Puts it on his hand. Notice this next statement. Beautiful, beautiful. He clothed him with garments of fine linen. Do you remember the last time his clothing attire was mentioned? It was when his brothers were ripping it off of his back, dipping it in blood, and taking it back to their dad. He was stripped naked. It's the last time his clothes was mentioned. The next time his clothes are mentioned, the, the king is putting fine linen on him. He put gold chain around his neck. you remember the last time his neck was mentioned? Remember the shackles around his neck? Psalm chapter 112. That's the last time we read it. He had, he, I wonder whenever Pharaoh put this golden chain around his neck, did he, did he see the wounds that he was covering up? Did he see the scars from the years of being shackled? And he made him ride in the second chariot. I, wanna, I, I just want to point out that when we as people who call ourselves followers of Jesus, not just who identify. We literally follow Jesus. The world out there needs to see it and know it. 
This is a call to everyone who claims the name of Jesus in this room today or listening or watching online, that if you claim the name of Jesus, does the world look at you and say, that person has been gifted of God. I can see the manifestations of his gifts. If you don't believe in that, go read the New Testament. From 1 Corinthians to Ephesians, the gifts of the Spirit are throughout. The book of Romans, the gifts of the Spirit are there. Hopefully the world will see that in us. Hopefully the world will look at us and say, that person is walking, filled, controlled, consumed by the Spirit of God. That person is trustworthy and honorable. We ought to be the best employers, the best employees our employer has. As followers of Jesus, do the people look at us and want to promote us? It's not about us. I, I, I want to get it off of that. But I, I want us to see what God will do and can do in the midst of all of our brokenness. But why does he do that? This is in the book of Matthew. It says it like this. It says, five, chapter 5, verse 16, let your light. And just think about Joseph. Joseph, let your light shine before others, shine before Pharaoh, shine before the cupbearer, shine while you're in prison in shackles. Let your light shine so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, God put him in the pit. He put him in the prison so that he might reveal him to the cupbearer so that the cupbearer would take his name to the king and the king would then call him out of that prison so that he would then rise up and he would see the God in him and he would stop calling out to the, the God of Ra, but he's now identifying you have the God of Yahweh, the Elohim God, the Most High God. There ought to be such a difference in us that the world can see the light of Christ. In John chapter 8, verse 12, and I close. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Who is the light of the world? Jesus is the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whenever you look at the life of Joseph, he's not perfect, but he is gifted by God. He is filled with his spirit. He's trustworthy, and he's honorable. He's all of that. And when we go out of this place and we talk about living sin, showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people, that doesn't just mean go get on a plane and go somewhere. It means when you walk into the halls of academia tomorrow, when you meet in your vendor community, when you go to the hospital and you serve in the hospital, wherever you go, wherever you go and whoever you interact with, I pray that people will see the light that is in you originates from the life in Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to pause and just say today, give you the opportunity to examine your, your own faith today. Does, do the people around you, do the people closest to you, do they see that God is at work in you? His Spirit is working in you. Do they see that integrity, that character, that trustworthiness? I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm just praying to God 
that the light that Jesus puts inside of his believers will be a light that this world will see. You cannot control your circumstances. You can control your character. Father, in this space and time, where everybody will examine, am I a notional follower? Do I like the idea of being a Christian? Or have I experienced the light of Jesus? And am I taking that same light back into this world so that others around me may see it? Father, give us people right now in our minds that are far from God, that are in our lives, that are Pharaohs or cupbearers in our life, that are rulers or CEOs or bosses in our lives, or that are people that we work along beside like the cupbearers. And help us, Lord, to pray for them. We would live sent into their world so that whenever they have those encounters with God, those dreams, those visions, those, those dark seasons of life, those troubling situations, that they'll look around and they will see that you are at work and you are alive in us. May we show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Father God, in this space, do your work. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?